1 Thessalonians chapter 1 Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labour of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were, among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost, so that we were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. We come to we have come to this exceptional chapter in the New Testament where Paul, now in Corinth, approximately he writes this epistle to the Thessalonians around about AD fifty one. It was the first ever letter penned to the churches he visited in his journeys. The background to this letter is found in Acts of the Apostles, chapters, chapter 17, verses 1 to 14. And here we see Paul's clear and direct approach to ministering. When he visited cities, he would go straight to the synagogues and meet with the religious leaders and would open the scriptures and effectually argue that Christ is the Messiah who had to suffer and rise again in order to atone for the sins of mankind. In Thessalonia, on hearing the gospel, as preached by Paul, a great number of the devout Greeks and some of the chief proselyte women believed. These Gentile Greeks had at one time left their pagan temples to search truth in Jewish worship. So now on on hearing Paul's testimony, they believed in Jesus Christ as their Saviour and were supernaturally born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Jewish leaders saw these people converted, they were angered and gathered a mob in the street from the street from the street market and caused uproar. And they assaulted the house of Jason, 
where Paul and Silas, also known as Silvanus, were staying and took Jason to the rulers and let him go after a while. With all this trouble surrounding them, the brethren immediately took Paul and Silas by night to Berea. And during Paul's time in Berea, where many were converted, including devout Jews, but the Jews of Thessalonia found out about this and came to stir up trouble again. So once again, the brethren had to take Paul away and he sailed to Athens, but Silas and Timothy were left behind. During the time at Athens, Paul was burdened for the new believers he had left, that he had left behind because of the persecution caused by, the, by his preaching. Before leaving for Corinth, he decided to send Timothy back to Thessalonica and to check on the welfare of the church and see how they were enduring persecution. When Timothy returned, he reported back to Paul that the young converts in Thessalonica were adhering to what they had been taught by Paul. And during his visit to them, and he was then, he was then stirred to write this letter. Have you ever written a love letter to anyone? Well, this letter from Paul to the Thessalonians had all the passion and concern of a love letter. Paul had been given the burden of the, for the early church. Everywhere he went, his purpose was to show people the gospel message, message and to help them establish fellowships amongst them, themselves in their, in their community. And he had barely been with the Thessalonians for around about four weeks and he was forced to leave them. And then, and then Timothy returns and reports that the Thessalonians are, are continuing in the faith. Paul himself is encouraged. He is thankful for the ongoing devotion to Christ and their desire to hold firm to the the gospel truth they had been taught despite their affliction. Now, having looked at some of the background, let's delve into the meat of this passage and see and see what we can learn from it and how we can apply it to our lives today. Let's look down at verse 1. And it says here, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see from the, the opening greeting in that although Paul is considered the author, Silas and Timothy are in agreement and 
also desire to thank God for these converts as well as bringing heartening encouragement to them. And also Paul uses the words here, grace and peace, and in his greetings to all, and these are the kind of greetings he has in all of his letters to to Timothy and to um, even to Corinth. It's always his his welcome message. The words in verse two must have brought some great encouragement to his to his people of Thessalonica. Paul had been driven out and was far away from these infants in faith to whom he had brought the good news. Their joy at receiving word from him and knowing that he had not forgotten them but was lifting them up in prayer would almost certainly have given them a much needed spiritual boost. And this was an infant church in the early weeks of a newfound faith, but who were mature beyond their spiritual years, adhering to all they had been taught. The Gospel was authored to the Thessalonians as a model of how the Gospel should be communicated today. Alan Cairns of the Free, Presby- Free Presbyterian Church says this in the says this is the best described as the apostolic blueprint for evangelism. So let's look at this chapter and I have broken it up to into three points to give a better understanding of the Thessalonians. Our first point would be the conversion of the Thessalonians from verses 2 to 5 and the example of the Thessalonians verses 6 to 9 and our third point would be hope of the Thessalonians in verse 10. So let's begin with conversion verses 2 to 5. These new converts in Christ were not just babes gradually being weaned on the milk of the Bible basics. They were mature in nature, taken in the meat of the Word of God. Their understanding on practical application of major theological doctrines such as the the Trinity, Christ's second coming, the day of the Lord, blessed assurance, conversion, election, resurrection, sanctification and Christian and Christian behaviour are evident throughout the whole book of Thessalonians. Here in verses two and three he says here we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labour of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. We see 
Paul acknowledged their steadfastness, which is a result of their amazing conversion while suffering much affliction and or 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 persecution as we see further down in verse six. Though this major transformation they were bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit. As Paul writes in verse 3, there is evidently amongst them the work of faith and labour of love and patience of hope. And this reminds of, us of the of um, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13, verse 13. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. It's an amazing verse. These are the three um, major fundamental virtues in the, in, in the Christian with a maturity in Christ. They had a heartfelt love and burden to share the gospel of Christ. So let's look for a moment and see what these three applied virtues mean and how we need them in our Christian life. We see number one here, we see the work of faith. The second one, the labour of love. And the third one, patience of hope. Work of faith here doesn't mean they have to work at having faith. It is a, a saving faith when they were converted. When Paul preached like in in Acts 20 verse 21, he says, Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is telling us, we first need to repent towards God because it is God we have offended by our sin and disobedience. And as a sinner, the person must put their faith in Jesus because he died on the cross for our sins. The Thessalonians' faith wasn't just believing in Jesus as a historical person who, uh, who like in a few decades ago, did so many wonderful miracles. It wasn't like that. So let's look at labour of love. Here is the, the fruit of loving acts when converted. Loving acts or good works are a, product, are a product of our salvation and it's definitely not the way of earning salvation like the Church of Rome and other, cult, and other cults do. If we turn and look at um, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. You see, a person must receive Jesus Christ's salvation as a free gift 
and not a reward for, for good works. And to illustrate this, just say, just say my wife Debbie, she bought this fancy road bike costing thousands of pounds, like the bikes you see on the Tour de France, a nice shiny red one with all the kind of electric speed gadgets and things like that on it. And I think, and I see the bike, I am totally, totally in shock. I am excited and then I'm thinking, how she could afford this bike? And after a few seconds, I am worried and I get my, I get my wallet out of my back pocket and open it. And I just find a £10 note and a few pound coins. I offer this money and, and, and say, let me pay for it, I say. And my wife is upset by being insulted. She says, this is a free gift. And if you give me money for it, it will no longer be free. You see, you cannot pay God for, for the free gift of salvation. We cannot earn our salvation through doing good works. Think about it. Just think about it. Are you enjoying God's free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ today? Or are you trying to earn your salvation? Just think about it. Let's look at this, like, kind of this third segment of um, patience of hope. Patience of hope. The Thessalonians had had an enduring, long suffering, expect, expecting the immediate immediate return of the coming of the Lord which is a trait all Christians should have. We as Christians endure hard times, but we have victory over difficult situations in our Christian walk by living in hope, which is referred throughout the whole epistle. In the book of James, it helps us illustrate this. James 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient. Therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it, until he receives the, the early and latter rain. But ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Just like here in Scotland, with arable farms, the farmer must wait patiently for his crops to be harvested. It's a long process, but he can't just rush the crop to grow. But here in Scotland, the main crop we grow is spring barley, which is sown in March, in March time. And also the farmers, they do a, a, a winter crop which isn't much, which isn't as much or as big as the spring harvest. But that seed is sown in the autumn time. And also they may plant all seed rape, potatoes and other kind of crops. 
I can imagine the farmers will have cattle with sheep, cows and pigs, so they are busy all year round waiting for the big harvest coming in. You see, we as Christians need to be like farmers. Instead of looking in the newspaper or television news for the coming Lord for the coming Lord as signs, we this won't make the Lord Jesus come any quicker. We need to be patient, but busy like the farmer waiting for the big harvest of barley. Just like the farmer, we must live by faith, waiting for the harvest to become ripe, like us waiting on the coming of the Lord Jesus. During the year, the farmer will do various jobs around the farm with the harvest. He will, he will check the crop for disease and then go out and, pray and spray pesticides to make the crop healthy. He's always busy. We too must be like the farmer. We must further the kingdom of God. I mean by this is that we need to be out sharing the gospel of Jesus to different people, praying the Holy Spirit will come and convict their sins and that they are converted and born again. Then they will have that hope of the coming Lord Jesus to take us home to heaven. Just look down at the, um, the end of verse 3. It says here, In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. These Thessalonians lived these three attributes of being effective Christians with the work of faith, the labour of love and the patience of hope all for Jesus in the sight of God and and I wonder can can you be like them? Can I be like them? Just think about it. In verse 4 we read Knowing brethren beloved your election of God Paul is comforting, comforting the Thessalonians, telling them that God loves them and has saved or elected them. For three weeks or so, in Acts 17 verse 3, Paul explained, came claiming about Jesus Christ, probably from the prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures and also with his testimony, testimony of meeting Jesus on the Damascus road. As Paul taught the regeneration work of our sovereign God, God as supreme power and authority was imparting his grace on them that their hearts might be softened in order to receive the new birth of being born again. We have no part in God's sovereign work in the generation in the in the regeneration process. Look you don't. Uh, in Acts seventeen verse four, we see some of them believed and were converted. This is our our active part. 
If we are not to believe and reject Jesus as Messiah, we are not saved or part of the elect. Let's look down at verse 5. And as we read, as we read verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were coming for you for your sake. We read that we read that it's not enough to merely hear the gospel. We must be convinced convicted of its truths and that assurance can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power convicts us to share the gospel effectually to to others. It is it is to our shame when we at times react in an ungodly manner to situations which we find stressful and difficult. We might even feel embarrassed to admit our faith and confidence and confidence in Christ alone. So others to um to others that in fear of persecution. Let's not be ignorant of the power of the gospel. It has the power to save as confirmed in Romans one sixteen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. And in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto I sent it. Let's look at our second point. Uh, example. In verse 6, as, you be, as it says here, as ye become followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Paul here commends the Thessalonians for their steadfast example, despite much suffering and persecution. They are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and find joy of the Holy Spirit regardless of their circumstances. And this is mirrored in a similar way in, in Romans chapter 5 verse 3 and 5 where it says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because 
the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Let's look down at verses 7 and 9. It says here, So that we were examples, examples to all that believed in Macedonia, in Macedonia and Ikea. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Ikea, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols, serving the living and true God. Verses 7-8, they become examples to all believers in Macedonia, Macedonia and Ikea. These areas are the, the northern and southern areas of Greece, which powerfully shows what happens when our lives are a godly example and a witness to others. As Paul writes this, he heard reports abroad regarding the faith of these converted in in of those converted at Thessalonia. It is amazing to see the results of the gospel being being proclaimed far and wide abroad. Because Thessalonica would have been the ideal place, being the capital, being the uh, the capital of the Roman region of Macedonia, and it had a population of over a hundred thousand. The city, with its natural harbour, was ideal for shipping and trading with different people sailing in and out, and also routes north and south on land for land travel, and this made this city multicultural and bustling atmosphere, which attracted trade and philosophy which brought the Greco-Roman and Egyptian religions with, with its idol worship of various gods. We read in verse 9, For they themselves show us what manner of entering and we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When these people were converted, the change was visible in their words and actions. They turned away from worship of idols and in that itself was a drastic turn from previous pagan idol worshipping life. But however, it wasn't just the outward change to their pagan worship which was noticed. If we think about it, if we think about it carefully, we begin to see and understand deeper things which must have been noticed by the unconverted. These early converts gave up an idolatrous, idol, 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 idolatrous life being deemed normal in their society 
where they were generally allowed to practice unhindered and instead they adopted a new life, a life following Christ which brought them suffering. The unconverted must have thought thought they were mad. Why give up reality, a relatively easy life that seemed good that seemed a good one that caused suffering? These early converts had found joy in the Spirit of God and knew the peace that surpasses all understanding. It set them apart and made them effective witnesses to the power of the Spirit in a person's life. That is the most effective witnessing tool we have. No, what is the most effective witnessing tool we have? Is it the words we use or the actions we display? Arguably, the most effective witnessing tool we have is our own conduct, our own speech and our own actions. We are no longer man-centred, we are God-centred and everything we should do should mirror Christ's example. To illustrate this in a way, I'm an ultra runner. I do that as part of time out. <laughs> and I was out regularly running with this lady, Louise, who was a friend of my wife and family. And over the weeks as we ran, I shared my faith and she had mentioned that she had bad experience with with churches years ago and had backslidden so over the weeks I heard as weeks went past I heard that she started attending a local church and I thought great and later on she told my wife it was how myself and my wife conducted ourselves in, in, our, in our life that brought her back to searching for Jesus again and to find that relationship she had with him before. So that was quite amazing. And if we carry on as we were before our conversion, we hide the light that has been revealed to us, which is Christ Jesus. In Matthew 5 verses 14 and 16, Ye are the light of the world, world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So our life, is an example to others and through Jesus Christ should be revealed to others. Let's look at our last point, um, hope, in verse 10. So 
as we look down at our last verse, verse 10, and it says here, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The Thessalonians are to wait, just like us today, waiting on the second coming of Jesus Christ that will happen one day. And it is not for for us to to give ideas or kind of options or kind of speculate any way when that day shall be. Jesus said in Matthew 24 verse 36 But of that day and hour knoweth no man no, not the angels of heaven but my Father only. And and in other versions say even Jesus doesn't know when he will return. It is interesting that the, the end of um, the five chapters of the first Thessalonians one, um, the books ends up with the ref- with the reference of um, Jesus returning again. So it's interesting that. So let's look at our point. Hope. 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 This is. This must be, one of the most wonderful four letter four letter words we have in the English language. When we apply it to a life in in Christ, what does that word hope mean to you? Which is a small word world word with such powerful meaning. Without it we can't be lost, eternally separated from God. So how could we endure life suffering and trials without the knowledge and that hope we have in Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. What joy and confidence do we experience knowing that we have hope in a wonderful blessed Saviour who through his atoning blood has delivered us, who has saved us from the coming judgment and wrath of God. Christ will come again. We can confidently hope and expect that day as promised in verse 10 of this chapter, but we don't need to fear the coming judgment because that price he already paid for at Calvary. As you leave here today, think of these things. Think about your conversion and how it has changed the way you conduct yourself daily. How do do we set a godly example to others as we go about our daily lives? What does that say and do reflect about who we are and what we believe? But most importantly... Do you have that hope in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and the assurance that 
you have been delivered from the coming wrath of God. In him and him alone you can know peace and joy in your life regardless of the eternal circumstances. There is a well-known hymn which says Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretest of glory divine. If you want to know that blessed assurance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, ask him to draw you close to him and reveal to you through the power of the Holy Spirit with the with the truth of the gospel message. And also if you have any questions or want to speak further about accepting Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, come and speak to me further. Thank you.